Alrighty, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast. I will be your host, James, today, and I'm joined just by Seth. Hello, just Seth. Hello, James. Just this Seth takes, here. This takes me back to our early days, Seth. We, we, when we started this podcast, I don't know how long y'all have been listening, but like when we started, it was just, it was just me and Seth. And we, we, we gathered, we gathered people to our, to our banner and uh, right. collected them in, in, in a faction, if you like, some sort of <gasps> collective arrangement and created a club. What a yeah, great introduction. Club. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was a segue. That's a segue. Uh, if anybody wants, I have a series of inspirational videos about how to podcast eloquently. They are on the Worldcraft Club website. Uh, Seth is working on it. He hasn't banner up. Anyway, um, <laughs> Our episode today is going to be about factions. We're going to talk about good factions. We're going to talk about bad factions. We're going to talk about how factions work well and a little bit about how they can impact your building. So we wanted to dive into this because like, it's kind of like factions, factions everywhere. So let's all have a drink, right? Like they're all over the place in, in, in every media that you're going to dive into any sort of fictional media. And it's a great shorthand to kind of figure out where people stand. Factions have existed for as long as man have. We've always kind of arranged ourselves into tribes and kind of joined up with people with mutual for mutual benefit and protection. And so like factions are this incredibly human thing. And they're not always like, they don't always have a banner or a flag. Sometimes it's literally just a group of tradesmen who get along in a certain industry and want to commit a conspiracy against the public. You know, it's like, it could be any number of things. It could be a bowling league is essentially a faction. You know, they have an interest, they have a goal, they have a thing in mind that they're trying to do and they're unified in that objective and they will all be angry at you if you try to stop them from bowling. Like, you know, that is that is how a faction operates. And so we have this kind of, this thing that's very human and exists in, and exists in our worlds, but they turn up all the time in fiction. So what I figure we can start off with here is what are the best factions you've seen? Seth, what's a good faction? Oh man, there are actually quite a few of them. And as weird as this is, as weird as this sounds, whenever I think of factions, first of all, I think of the game Guild Wars. Oh yeah, I played that one. Oh man, Guild Wars is, in my opinion... I mean, it's very dated. The original Guild Wars is very dated. But is, that the one, is that the one with the lion people? Do they have lion people? Because I'm pretty sure friend made one and he named himself um, Chairman Meow. Okay, yes. You're talking about Guild Wars 2? There Guild we go. Guild Wars 2 has the char. There you go. Uh, yeah. So Guild Wars 1, instead, there was an ex- expansion to the game literally called Factions. Yeah. And, and it pitched you on two different sides and you could you could and these two different sides had different styles and they had different uh yeah they're just different looks functionally they were the same because you could be you know the same characters on both sides but what was amazing is the level of commitment that players had towards their faction Mm. and you see this in let's say, wow, with Horde and Alliance. Yeah. As I was trying to come up with like the perfect faction, I really ended up with the movie Hook. Hook? Yeah. The one with like Robin Williams? Where yeah. he was, he was, he was secretly- Peter Pan. Peter Pan, yeah. So. Okay, yeah, you're gonna have to unpack this. No, sure, sure. So, so for anybody who has not read the original Peter Pan, definitely go and read it. Uh, hmm. Fantastic book. The movie Hook took it to a whole new level 
And I remember as a child being so enamored with the Lost Boys as a faction, as a group, yeah, that I would spend days, weeks playing as if I could somehow be part of this group and organizing myself and, and my environment in such a way that I could consider myself part of the Lost Boys. I mean, yeah. beyond Rufio being the coolest of cool. Rufio was amazing. <laughs> like the, the eyeliner, the mohawk, the it skateboarding. So like he was good. my idol. He was such a badass. Yeah, sorry, carry on. That's exactly what I'm talking about. When I saw that group and I saw how they carried themselves, how they interacted. And this isn't the, I mean, the reason I went to Hook is because I, I didn't see the cartoon Peter Pan until I was older. And so I didn't really identify with sort of the childish lost boys that are represented in that. Yeah. But when we see in Hook, the lost boys being a cohesive paramilitary paramilitary organization, right? To some extent, they stand yeah, up against yeah, yeah, yeah. pirates and not just any pirates, but actual real bad pirates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys with swords and guns. I cannot tell you how much I liked that depiction of the Lost Boys. And I think that that is a great example because that's a world where if you pulled the factions out, yeah, it suddenly becomes super boring. It's an island in the yeah. middle of space. And, and, and if everybody was just out for themselves, and I think like this is the right. conception that we have of our sort of obsession with gray as like a moral structure. Whereas yeah. the reality is, is that most people aren't out for themselves. They're out for their families. They're usually out for right. people that they identify with and draw close to, which is where like the faction instinct is like massive. And so like that idea of just belonging is so powerful to humans. And like, I love this, like the Lost Boys, because as I think about it, they have a really like, especially in Hook, they have this really neat kind of ragtag core aesthetic that they're going for the very sort of like uh you know bootstrapped skateboard like right. wooden it's punk wicker armor it is punk it is absolutely it's punk like especially rufio he kind of like yeah. nails it but like it's, it's super anti-authoritarian like but weirdly organized for an anti-authoritarian <laughs> group yeah. like uh what, what is a it bit lord a, of the flies well well there, there's kind of have you ever seen uh dr horrible dr horrible is yes. amazing so like in Dr. Horrible, he is a, uh, Lee, uh, Neil Patrick Harris plays an aspiring supervillain who has a bunch of vision. He has like a vision for the way the world should be. And he just has to rule it. And one of the lines in that, that he sings is it's anarchy that I run. And I'm right. like, that's amazing. <laughs> so like, it's like, that's how it was, right? It's anarchy, but Rufio runs it. And like, they have this whole like arrangement and how they, how they work in a world that has very incoherent rules. You know, you produce food by imagining it. And apparently right. it's an some actual sort of, food. Yeah. yeah like you can eat and sus be sustained from. And um, also I just remembered Robin Williams. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Anyway. But like, you would um, appreciate that we're talking about this movie. Oh, 100%. That we yeah. enjoyed it so much. I just remember that scene where he, would appreciate. Rufio. he, fl he flicks the food and that's when he yes. remembers that the food's real. And like, yeah, he starts to remember and to admit, yeah, that movie had it. That movie was watch hook. Just watch hook. <laughs> just go and watch it. It is, it is maybe one of the best movies ever made. Like it is just, maybe. 
but yeah, I know there's no maybe in it. It is one of the best movies ever made. So good. Yeah. So you're right though. I never thought about it in those terms. Like you're actually dealing with factions. The pirates are fairly cohesive as well. And like there is, there is a theme and it's like, they are pirates and they drink all day and they shoot each other and they have, they, they start playing baseball because hook Hook said, we're going to play baseball. And then it's like, yes. And they start cheating and shooting each other while they're playing. Like one of the pirates tries to steal a base and the umpire shoots him. It's so good. It's so oh so man. Oh, the movie's great. So good. But even that, like okay. they had a vision for what these guys were supposed to do and why right. they were that why they were in it together, why they were working together. You got you got a sense of it, right? Like and yeah, yeah. Though I, I don't really understand why the pirates were the authoritarians in this setting. Like pirates usually aren't very authoritarian, but like, you know, they were the grown-ups. They were the only grown-ups. They in were the grown-ups. And they're tyrants, really. Yeah, is the, you know, is I think I think part of what made that world so good is Julia Roberts. Well, yes, as Tinkerbell, she was she was pretty good. I think though, what made that that movie so good is that it it dealt with the core of something that we all we all deal with, which is belonging, mm. right? Yeah, and and you have these themes of abandonment because Peter Pan has left, right? And he's gone yeah. and he's grown up and he's forgotten. And the, the lost boys have been left to fend for themselves, right? Against the pirates. Mm. And so you have this, it really gets at the core of what factions are about and why factions are so powerful from yeah. a narrative perspective and so important in a world because even if your setting is a few different scenes on an island that floats in space right has no context other than that it works because there is there is belonging right the characters the characters are are part of something that is bigger than themselves and yeah. this is this is one of the reasons that and i know we touched on this in a prior episode uh, but this is one of the reasons that I think that we have done ourselves a disservice narratively by by sticking to the grim, gritty, individualistic antihero. Mm. I think you're a hundred percent right, Seth. Like, and and like, it's just kind of moving because I honestly, I just kind of got lost as we we were talking there because I, I just remembered that scene where um the lost boys are, are looking at Peter, they're trying to figure out if it's really him. Yeah. And one of the kids, like one that won't abandon him for some reason, just gets him and grabs his face, and he just like looks deep into his eyes, and he moves his moves his cheeks until he forms a smile and he just goes oh there you are and like that right. that whole scene of where you realize that like it is about peter becoming one of them again and becoming part of that faction right that that, right. that tribe that that unity and there's something in that that is so deeply moving to the human soul the sense that like you need to feel like you belong to others and because that's powerful and because that's very human it makes it narratively very useful and um i think there's a sense that in our in our world building these days like uh, you know seth makes a good point like the individualism and the and the out for himself anti-hero like is not a very realistic character at the end of the day 
people always have like, and this is why we, we get the edgelord backstories and in all of the TTRPGs, like my family died. And so I hate everyone. <laughs> you know, it's like my family were killed by that man. And it's yeah. like, they're always like really <laughs> terrible. And it's like, you know, people always have to have all of their associations eliminated. So like, I mean, this is, this is really good for TTRPG, right? It's like, um, recognize that your character is going to have factions. Your character is going to have affiliations as a player, as a GM right. or, or DM, you, you are, it, it doesn't hurt to consider your, especially your key NPCs, what associations they have with different factions and maybe a little bit of light opinion canvassing of what, what different characters might think of different major factions. As, and that's a really good shorthand. It makes your life easier. You don't have to build a shed load of personality behind them. You can just say, this person's part of the paladin, the the the, the local um, temple and is, and is a right. paladin. And so they have they have these views. And if you move against this faction, they will be... You don't have to like develop them a whole lot more to get like actually a very rich element of the human experience from it. But I... I honestly went like a totally different route. Like I think I think you really struck at the depth and philosophy behind this and the reason why this touches the human soul and why it's important that we as world builders kind of consider these elements when we're building. It blows my mind that we just approach this almost entirely differently. So I came at it from a completely different angle and I started thinking about Fallout New Vegas, right? For those of you who don't know, Fallout New Vegas was made by Obsidian, who were the same guys who made Fallouts 1 and 2 before Bethesda, right? So New Vegas came out between 3 and 4 and it was it, it really continued the story of Fallout 2, which is the amazing thing. And it's arguably the best of the Fallout series, period. It took the new mechanics and engine that you saw in Fallout 3, and then it put the story that you had in Fallout 2. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and one of the things they nailed about it is they created a faction system in there that was just so satisfying. Because Fallout New Vegas effectively fashioned all of their factions to answer this question. What is man to do in the wreckage of the old, right? How were we to go forward was what all of the factions were seeking to answer. And they all had different ways of looking. So Fallout 4 has like four major distinct endings, though there's a lot of sub endings in it for depending on how you play. But mm -hmm. like effectively you're deciding the fate of the Mojave Wasteland, which if you're playing the game, you fall in love with. You really do learn to love a lot of the characters and you develop a personal kind of conviction of just wanting to see them do better. You can either have an independent New Vegas run functionally by you. You can have uh, Mr. House run it, who is a technologist who um, believes that he can, by the end, he, he, he was the reason why the bombs didn't hit Vegas and he has a plan for like how he can unfurl it. He reckons he can get humankind into, into space within a hundred years if he, if he has if he runs the show and he has an army of robots to do it you have um the new california republic who are an attempt at reclaiming the governments of old so they have a representative democracy but it's big and it's slow and it's corrupt and then you have the purity kaisar's legion who is what i want to talk about now now Kaisar was a guy who was really, really edgy. And he came to the conclusion that because of the ferocity of post-nuclear wasteland, the only response was to be equally ferocious, right? To answer, to, to look back into the abyss, essentially, was his answer. And so his regime was entirely brutal. Every culture they encountered, they systematically wiped out their identity and formed them into the legion. They folded everybody in as they went. And when you talk to him, 
he is an entirely reasonable person. <laughs> like you, you the, the first encounter you really have with the Legion is in a town where they found a bunch of people taking drugs and, uh, and basically like a bunch of new California Republic soldiers and a bunch of free folk basically, um, drinking and smoking and carrying on. And they, because they have this pure view of the world, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put you all on crosses. So they crucified everybody in the town. Uh, but before that, they did that, they ran a lottery. And the person who won the lottery got to just watch them crucify everybody and then leave. The person who came in second got to have his legs broken. Everybody else got crucified. It's insane, right? And so they build this moment up for you to encounter Kaisar. And you get there and you meet him. And he is this chill dude just sitting there hanging out. You talk to him and man, like I tell you what, if you cross him, like if you say things to him that are like inappropriate, he basically shuts you down in a way that really, you know, puts you out of your misery. But like he is a, um, he is eminently reasonable. His perspective is essentially, I needed, I needed a, a, a faction. I needed a reason and a philosophy that could match the harshness of the wasteland. I hope there comes a day where I won't be needed, where this won't be needed anymore. And he says, but the new California Republic, what do we gain from repeating the mistakes of the past? We need to start new. We need something that can, that can work in this world. And that is what I've created in Kaiser's League. So do you think that the, because that's the, the leader, right? That's the guy who's sitting at the top of it. Yeah. Do you think that it's as convincing for the people who are members in his legion? Well, that's the thing, is that the, the legion is unified under Kaisar. They don't necessarily appear to have a full understanding of it. Some of them do. Like, you encounter, like, perfectly intelligent, capable people in the midst of that, usually among the his intelligence corps, the Vulpes. But, like, other than that, you encounter... I, I think mostly they just, they took on a familial and tribal identity is what they did, which mattered more to them than necessarily the, the, the philosophical quandaries that, the, uh, that Kaiser feels he's answering. So, so that's really interesting because, because what you're pointing to is the idea that a faction can have a whole bunch of people in it who are in it for various reasons, but their aim like is, uni- excuse me, but their aim is unified. Yeah. Yeah. They have unified objectives and, and there may be varying degrees of understanding in that. And like Kaiser is phenomenally interesting as a character because there's a sense that you encounter him having witnessed the atrocities he's committed. And like, I, I cannot bring myself to join his faction in the game. You can win the game for him, but mm-hmm. like it's, it's brutal. Yeah. But there's a sense in which you look at it. And if you play, you know, fighting for the NCR who are, really not the good guys like which is the amazing thing because they're 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 the they're the democracy but as you encounter them as you work with them you start to see like they had committed atrocities in the in the game like there were things they did that were really questionable because they felt they needed to get them done they felt like that that was the most important thing to do there's a certain amount of paternalism that you get from ncr like we we just need to control you and and you know you, you get this sense that like at least kaiser's legion is honest uh, you know what I mean? Like they're saying, yes, we right. will enslave you. Like that's, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, and we're not um, going to pretend we're not, we, yeah, we're not going to pretend that we won't enslave you and then, and then manipulate you. And the reason the faction was fascinating to me was one that they had a clear aesthetic in mind. They had certain ways of doing things that were 
um, nonsensical in some ways. And like in other ways, like it made sense for what they were doing. Like they give their best weapons to the veterans, the people that have been in the army the longest and seen the most battle. They don't care how good you are. You have to see enough battle to be that rank. It doesn't matter. And so what they would do is they throw waves of legionaries and they just all get slaughtered. But the problem was, is if you started killing all the veterans, they lost all of their command structure. So it was like, that was how they, that was how the NCR brought them down is they, they would, they would take out these high ranking veterans. Mm-hmm and they wouldn't know and none of the recruits would know how to fight and it was just like it was it was a fascinating thing to watch this unfold because there was a philosophical coherency to Kaiser's legion that was unnerving because they did so much evil right like you didn't want to you wanted to them to just go like the empire in star wars why are we doing this because we're evil <laughs> you know and it's like right. no it's like he actually kind of has a reason for doing it and the reason is like dang near persuasive so this is the problem yeah this is the problem narrative and world building it's fiction and fiction Mm. is never as complicated as real life Hmm. and the deeper we dig into it the closer we get to real life because the truth is that if you get five people in a room who are all from the same faction Mm. on the surface level, if you ask them a simple question, why are you in this group? They'll Mm. all tell you the same answer. But as soon as you get them and sit them down and start asking them about why they made the choices they made, how they got to the place they've gotten to, how how their world was constructed into what it is, you get different answers. And so we have a problem as world builders because we either tend towards building that unique individualism for every single character, yeah. or we tend the opposite direction and make, make a whole bunch of faceless minions. Yeah, yeah. So there's a balance to be struck here, which you're identifying in Fallout New Vegas as maybe saying, okay, people have varying degrees of understanding, yeah. right? The leader has this core philosophy that's so persuasive that it explains why a whole bunch of other people inside of this game or inside of this faction have come to be in this faction and different people have different levels of commitment to that ideal or different levels of commitment to the group as simply a tribal instinct yeah a sense of belonging and that instinct and sense of belonging is is a vital component of, of human existence and like it is it is ever present um and it's it's fascinating to me i like that like the individualism exists as part of the and in reference to the whole so like it's interesting then that you can get variants of character within a faction like you can have the person who's out for themselves and just simply sees that faction as a way to get right. to where they're going um so like a really good example of this is uh, is Dragon Age. Um, I, I really like the Dragon Age series. I've been playing through Inquisition like a million years too late. But um, I love the Chantry, which is the primary religious organization within, within there. The cool thing about it is they frequently play off the Chantry like... It is actually one of the most respectful portrayals of religion that I've seen in, in, in fiction. Because they kind of highlight a lot of the problem without necessarily like saying that's all that's there 
right? So they they have the chantry, and the chantry is boiled down in there. In there, there's internal politics that shatter it. There are um, stale traditions that have that have no use any longer. There's also tons of compassion. There is a lot of stability in it, and there are lots of different people who have different perspectives on the chantry and like the the overall religion of the maker, right? Um, which is their kind of like core core religious aspect of it. And you can actually, it's neat because you become a religious figure in Inquisition. And so you talk to a lot of the characters about their religious affiliations. And two of the main characters are very much associated with the Chantry and can even become divines within the Chantry, like Pope, a Pope-like figure. And all of them have very different perspectives on it. Some of them think the Chantry has become too loosey-goosey and they want to kind of bring it back in line and get crap mm-hmm. cut back together. Other ones say that the theology has become stifling and isn't allowing enough for enough freedom of creativity and enough, enough freedom of expression within its ranks and that they wish to bring a new era of that out. And they all have different interpretations of what the last Pope was trying to do. <laughs> and so they all have, and all of them were very much loved by and like cherished by that Pope figure. So when that Pope figure dies and they're all left trying to figure out if they have a a claim to the seat of the Popedom, they all have these varying views of the faction and even Mm -hmm. the person that they encountered. So you allow for this great amount of individualism, but all of them would say that they owe their loyalty to this faction and all of them have the faction in common. And that's kind of what draws them together. And it's it's a fascinating thing. And to a certain extent, the faction's best interest. Yeah. At least in their head. Yeah. And this is where I think we often fail in creating interesting and realistic factions is that we don't actually, we use them narratively, right? This is the faction of pirates. This is the faction of thieves. This is the faction of Good guys. Ah, yes, the Thieves Guild. Thieves, notoriously known to work together. Right? (laughs) Let's all name a common hiding spot. I'm sure none of us will stab the other ones in the back. (laughs) At the end of the day, people's motivation is myriad. Mm. But even internally. Yeah, absolutely. One person's motivation. One person's motivation can, you know, can be multifaceted. (laughs) But, But the thing that really binds people together is a sense of belonging. And so I think that if you can figure out that core piece for each of your factions, a lot of the work is going to be done for you. Hmm. This is sort of going back to our whole fairy cake idea. Yeah. When we build worlds, we tend to start with fairy cake, right? One little piece of something that you can extrapolate from to create an entire universe. So like for Harry Potter, it would be quaint, right? Quaint is, is the fairy cake of Harry Potter. If you're out of ideas, well, the dishes do themselves in Harry Potter. Why are there even dishes? Why can't you just magic away the dirt? No, it's just cute. And it's quaint to have a brush doing it by itself, right? That's right. Quaint. Yeah, sorry, carry on. So once you have these pieces of fairy cake, once you have that core idea, whether it's, you know, whether it's quaint for Harry Potter, whether it's um, absurd for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is where... yeah which is where the whole idea of fairy cake originates from in the first place, regardless of what it is. If you can identify the core piece that keeps a faction together from there, you can use it to great effect. And so if it's a thieves guild, maybe it's maybe, maybe your core, your fairy cake for the thieves guild or your, your core 
piece that keeps everything together is standing against a particular authority. Yeah, yeah. Right? So maybe they're, they're sure, they're all thieves, but they're also slightly revolutionary. Yeah. And by, by identifying that, that line, you also then determine what, what people will not do. So when we talk about building worlds, we often talk about, about sort of the, the space we don't, we don't develop, right? Yeah. The negative space and leaving room for your narrative to breathe. Well, one of the, one of the things that, that really can be helpful is identifying the boundaries of this negative space, right? You're identifying the boundaries of your groups. So you say, okay, here's my core. And then what is the thing that they will not do? So if they're revolutionary, maybe they'll betray each other, but they won't betray each other to the authority. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's that's good. And and that kind of fits within lines of like things like the pirate code, things like that. Yeah. Like these ideas that there are certain things that are so anathema to that community that if you were to do it, you would forfeit your connection to that king, right? That's right. And that makes sense when the binding guild uh, thing is that there is a sheriff who is particularly vicious in the carrying out of their law, it makes sense that the thieves might actually say, you know what, let's get together. We've got a project here. Let's make this guy's life a misery. And they might try to, I don't know, club their wealth together to hire an assassin. And that might be their goal. Their goal might be to cause a general sort of kind of terroristic kind of anarchistic thing Mm -hmm. underground and like try to really destabilize the kingdom in order to crack the authority structure. I mean, or it could even be something as simple as they're trying to maximize profit. Yeah. And the best way to maximize profit is to have stable fences. And the only way to have stable fences guild certification (laughs) is you have a guild certification. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear about the the best thieves guild in the entire world? Read Terry, Terry Pratchett. Anna the patrician of the city, the ruler of the city, legalizes the thieves' guild and then turns them into a private army that polices unlicensed thieves. That's that's what they did with taxi drivers. <laughs> this yeah, is tough. yeah, like. But what you need is you need that that line, right? That motivation. Yeah, yeah. and and and. I, that, that just makes a ton of sense, right? Like that is a completely logical arrangement for a thieves guild. And you're right. They always have to have some sort of a reason for it that fits together a, a certain coherent, like cause that they're pursuing. And like yes. in that's bigger than the individual. Yeah. And in, in, in new Vegas, what it surrounds is, is the primary central question to that is how, do we, how do we piece society together after an ellipse? Like, that's the question. What is the answer to, to the death of our world? And every organization central to its faction has that question answered in some way. Or if it's the new California Republic, it says, well, we reform our democracy. If it's Caesar, if it's Kaiser's Legion, it is, we form a society that is equal to the challenges against it, whether they like it or not. With House, it's about forming a culture that, that, can, that, is, that is smarter than the waste that can outsmart it and get around it. And if it's independence, then it's just, it, it's, I don't know, it's flipping. That, that's Mardi Gras. I don't even know do what, what they're trying want. to do with that. Yeah. And like, even that just makes no sense. Yeah. It's, it's anarchy that I run. Um, and like, that's, you know, that there are, there are a lot that, and, and, and that is a really, really good way to do it. Cause the whole world is bent around that. So when you're forming your fairy cake in a lot of ways, you're asking a question, 
that your story is answering and your narrative may well structure. But like this idea that you have um, core theme and your factions may well have ideas about that and run off that. So one thing that that does that's really good is that sets up factions at odds. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I hate the most is stepping into a world where there are a whole bunch of factions that supposedly hate each other and have no competing interests. Yeah. They have no reason to be against each other. Any any leader with half a brain would just be like, hey, let's work together. You keep that neighborhood, I'll keep this neighborhood. You know, I'll enforce certain things over here that benefit you. You enforce certain things over there that benefit you, uh, me. Like we won't tread on each other's on each other's feet. Yeah. And and and, and that that's that's not how that works. They will always move on each other. And that's unless right. unless there is something over the top governing it, like the patrician and the thieves guild, right. like like keeps them under control. But there's like, a reason there's a reason that in real life criminal factions have not persisted indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It always falls apart. It always falls apart. And the reason is because the primary reason, the primary drive eventually fades. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's it's very difficult for monopolies to exist for very long because usually right. because they usually get complacent and then somebody else pops up to kind of like make their life a misery right. because if you don't have anything to fight against. So I, I guess really like factions in a lot of ways, at least in a narrative construct, like a bowling league as a faction probably doesn't really work super well, but like as a faction in terms of something that's narratively like effective and, and evocative, it seems as if they evolve in contrast to something. Like there is some reason that they have united, some thing that they are fighting against as well as for, which is just kind of an, okay. interesting, an interesting thing to consider is like when your faction starts, who, who, who are they opposed to? Because that, that is one of the surest right. ways to get people together is to give them an opponent. I don't think it always is that way necessarily. No. But, Though yeah. to a certain extent, to a certain extent, there has to be something, like you said, that they're fighting against, some form of oppression that they are that they are struggling against. So why does a, you know, why does a guild form? Well, a guild forms to be able to control certain things. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe, maybe the person who formed the guild was on the top to begin with. So it's not that they're fighting against themselves being oppressed, right? They're not fighting against somebody oppressing them. No, they're fighting against competition. They're trying to squash. They're fighting against competition. That's right. They're yeah. fighting against somebody else taking something that they feel like should be theirs. Hmm. So I can sense that we've kind of we've kind of run this thing through and we've we've uncovered like some really useful bits of information about world building by kind of just geeking out about some of our favorite factions. And I think we could we could go on for a while, but let's let's maybe try to try to pull some key concepts out of this. So in exploring this, I think one of the one of the best things, and I love that you drew this out, like particularly with Hook, is is the very depth of humanity within a faction, like the desire and need to belong. And so this makes the faction, the desire to form faction, an extremely realistic and potent element to use in your story. Like even just saying it's because it's what my family wants, it's because it's right. what we need is a very very strong motivating force. The idea of being shunned by those very... There's a reason that 90% of all anime is about family, hmm. right? And often it's, it's, it's about people discovering family because they don't have their own family because it's anime. Yeah, Attack on Titan, look it up. 
like everything I'm thinking, like I'm like every storyline is family and attack on Titan, but carry on. Right. I think that it strikes a nerve with us and that can carry into our factions in a really powerful way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it really can. And um, I think that's something to consider is the power of that attachment is not to be underestimated. And you can take advantage of that in your in your writing or game development or design uh, that people really desire that. I'd also really urge this for people who are doing player characters. Like um, in TTRPG, it's often like the DM makes the game and then the players turn up and are part of the game but i would argue that, <coughs> ruin it <coughs> yeah i know right yeah ruin the perfect world the ship in a bottle the dm created and you're just smashing it so like when you're players and you're going in though like participate in the world building and recognize right. the element of that i would say think about the factions that your player character might be involved in. one your dm will love talking and two you will have a much richer and more interesting experience of the game it sure. works better than a straight morality system of good or you think about what fact what your faction's interests are and that may well lead you sometimes to make extreme decisions that are in the moment seem contradictory but it will lead you to have very, very deep kind of emotional resonance. But it also comes pretty cheap because all you have to do is think, what's good for my faction? You don't have to think about like, that's right. you know, the, the philosophy of it. Because the truth is, we often don't really think about the philosophy of our actions. We think about what's good for me. We think about what's good for our families. We think about what's good for our friends. And so that is a really, really good way to make deceptively deep characters that your DM will love for making. Literally love you. Yeah. Like there, there is no greater hook than I'm coming into the game and I already have a relationship with this faction and that faction. Yeah, right. Giving giving your DM a little bit of wiggle room in that as well. Absolutely, you don't have to you don't have to nail everything down, right? Mm -hmm. But to say I have a negative, I've had negative experiences with that faction, and yeah. let the GM build the hooks, build the story, build the plot behind that. That's oh, so powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's so powerful. And so, like, I, I think I think that's the real thing: is don't underestimate the power of this. Don't underestimate the simplicity of it. And I think the next one really is when it comes to factions, we can make realistic factions by considering what a group of people may stand against or for, right? So that's a really simple thing to do. You've got an authoritarian in power, build a faction that's pissed off about that. That works right. really, really well. And then build another faction that's pissed off about it for a different reason and is fighting it in a different way. And the contrast between those two factions that have seemingly similar goals is narrative gold, right? It is. Like, that like space there. That's what gives you the Merchant's Guild and the Thieves' Guild, mm. both fighting against the tyranny in the city in different ways. Yeah. And it puts them at odds with each other. So all of a sudden you have multiple faction interaction. Oh yeah. And that is like, so, so here's the deal, right? It is not a hard decision if there is a good choice and a bad choice. Right. However, when you have two good choices, 
or you have two bad choices. <laughs> like right. suddenly everything gets much more complicated because you're weighing it. And these factions interacting against each other, but having seemingly similar aims, but just mm -hmm. different methodologies is critical, which is why I'd recommend the game Dishonored if you ever get a chance to high chaos, low chaos, the whole thing about like how many people you're willing to murder to accomplish the job. And the game gets a lot easier if you just start killing fools. That's right. They, they ratchet up the difficulty as the game goes on, though, because then you have to fight more weepers and rat holdings like that as you go through the game. But the, um, the concept... But it also has a, a consequence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's where I think, like, I think this is another thing about faction. Sometimes factions exist to answer a question. Mm -hmm. And I think really, like, the primary, like, antagonist in New Vegas in some ways is just the life that you're the lot you've been given. The world has ended. The primary antagonist in some ways is the apocalypse itself. And all the other four factions are just people trying to find an answer and a way right. to move. Whether it's trust yourself and do whatever you want to do, whether it's move forward at any cost, whether it's recreate what was there before, or you know become so strong that it can't defeat you. Those are all answers to a question. And I think that's a really good way to run a faction and to ask yourself, you know, what, what question are they answering? With that though, we also learn that like within factions, people's motivations can be very varied and complicated. This much, much the same way you can have two factions with one goal and they constantly find themselves at all. You can find a faction where two people, very different approaches. There's a lot of room for personality. Personality, I think what I would encourage along those lines is, don't necessarily focus on unless it's a really small faction like if you're talking like three people sure you know give everybody their own personality but what can be really what can be really powerful for players if they're in a game or for readers if they're if you're writing a book um, for any visitant to your world what can be really powerful is establishing a key personality or a couple competing personalities, even within a faction, that are that are very strong. And then allowing the other people in the faction to sort of fade off from that, to have varying levels of commitment to it and identification with it. And what that does is it is it very quickly allows you to establish a, a faction that someone can agree with or disagree with but then as they as they meet different people who have varying levels of commitment to it they have to re-answer that question every single time it's not are we all for the church right because maybe your head priest is all for the church and is willing to burn anybody who says otherwise on the stake but then maybe there's a, another priest or maybe you go and meet a bishop in a different town and they have a varying level, a varying degree of commitment to the purity of that cause. And so all of a sudden your player is, is your visitant is forced to re-reckon with the faction. They're forced to reconsider, oh wait, I didn't like what that priest was saying, but what about what this person is saying? Is it, is it enough if I'm just going to give it a little bit? I like that. And I, and I think it's... Um... I think these are these are really, really interesting observations for creating a lot of shorthand in your stories and for creating a lot of interesting characters who find themselves conflicted. It's a good it's a good paradigm, like a good way of setting up 
a novel with lots of nice pivot points and joints that you can work with. It's not necessarily for main characters or people within the center of the spotlight where the faction becomes their sole decisive thing, but for adding a lot of color. And like, it can, it can, I'm not saying it can't, um, but for adding a lot of color around your world, factions make a really nice, easy shorthand to just determining a disposition of any number of characters that you might encounter. And it mm-hmm. will add a sense of depth for world that does not require a shed load of maintenance once you have, once you have a clear idea what you're doing. So I highly recommend the use of factions in creating your worlds, especially yes. if you're doing TTRPG to make your life a little bit shorter when someone's like, hey, the blacksmith, what do they think? You can give them, well, the blacksmith uh, pays his dues to the merchant guild like every good merchant should and believes that's the best way to do it. And he's really pissed off at the guy downtown who started setting up shop without getting and he's mm-hmm. And he wants to send strong arms down there to do Boom, it. story. Yep, super interesting. And it's like, it's, you know, you've, you've got it right off the bat. So like all that said, I think factions are sweet and you should all give them a shot. But before we finish off this episode, I want to go ahead and remind you guys talking about factions and sweet intersecting storylines. CD Projekt Red is releasing their new Cyberpunk 2077 in a couple of days. So excited. We hope. I know. So excited. And so... Even if it doesn't come out, so excited. Yeah, I know. It's just like it's like we're, we're just. I, I've been listening to nonstop like synthwave like for for like months now, just just brimming with excitement. Uh, so so like we're we were really excited about that. We wanted to talk a lot about the world building content of that. So the next two episodes are actually going to be pretty much straight up cyberpunk. We've got a pre-launch episode where we're talking about some of the things we're expecting to see, some of the stuff we're excited about. We're going to do a post-launch where we dive into CD Projekt Red's world building, a, a little bit similar to how we did with Star Wars a little ways back, just kind of talking about what we're seeing, what we liked, what we didn't like, and what we can learn from. So right. if you want to learn from the best in CD Project Red, I think you can argue in pretty much the best. Uh, mm, pretty much. gain a lot from that. So I'd encourage you to drop in, invite friends who are into this. We're going to be talking lots of cyberpunk for a while here. Also, Seth is going to be running a stream for that. We're going to take a little video for you and do some like little bits of highlights of the world building of that in a format. And make sure before that date, which is December 10th, by the way, you join our Patreon. Because I think we're going to try to do some cool patron stuff, uh, patron exclusive content for that. I would love if you want to jump on there to have some interesting discussions about CD Projekt Red and their game Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, it's going to be sure. so fun. Yeah, basic basic entrance to uh, our our Patreon is $2 a month, and that gives you access to a f- free additional monthly episode and a lot of extra little bits of content to give you like an That's inside right. look at the kind of stuff. And uh, it and- lets us make more episodes. Yeah, makes life a little bit easier for us as well to keep producing content. So if you like what we do, go ahead and join us on Patreon. We'd love to have you. All right, with that said, it's been another episode of the Worldcraft Club. I'm James, and that's Seth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining Seth and I on the Worldcraft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. 
This has been the World Craft Club podcast. Thank you for listening.